Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations, because great radio is still fresh the second time around. We're going to go now to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. One of my favorite guys will join us. Just an absolute junkie. I mean that in the best way possible. An absolute basketball junkie. Brian Ralph, the senior national writer for Heat Check College Basketball. That's on X at Heat Check CBB and the host of the Hangout podcast at the Hangout CBB. Also on X joins us now. Brian, man, we're almost there to March. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are we are good. We got a lot of teams to cover. We got some some teams uh having unexpected years. One of them is the Charlotte 49ers. What are your thoughts right now on the job that Aaron Fern has done uh to get this Charlotte program trending in the in a positive direction really for the first time in more than a decade? Yeah, it it's been incredible. The way they've turned things around in conference play really the first month or two of the season were, were slow going, which was to be expected given all of the, uh, all of the uh, things that happened this offseason, to, to put it nicely with that program. Uh, but he got them back playing at a, at a really, really high level. They're good on both ends of the court. Uh, really good defending the three. They've found a style that works for them, right? They, they slow yeah. it down and are more deliberate with their offense. It's not, it's not Virginia-like. Uh, I know every time we talk about so tempo, everyone automatically goes, it's kind of boring. Charlotte's not, though. Like They, they share the ball pretty well. They space the floor. they got a number of guys who can fill it up. Um, that coupled with high-level defense and running teams off the three-point line, uh, it's been the recipe for them. And, you know, I know they got a big game coming up here in, in two weekends, uh, if everything holds serve when South Florida comes to town. But the job they've done in AAC play uh, is a huge, huge assessment to this coaching staff. Hey, Brian, how's it going, man? Uh, wanted to ask you about the Tar Heels. You know, the other day they get back on track against Virginia Tech. Nice 15-point win. Sort of similar to the wins that we saw during their win streak to begin the uh, ACC season. Now, what do you think? Was that them bouncing back and it shows you that they sh- that people shouldn't be that concerned about them? Or should people still be a little bit concerned about that 2-3 and three stretch that they went through there in the middle of conference play? Yeah, I'll find out, uh, I'll say, in a week or two, which is if they can keep that level of play back up. I mentioned that 10-game win streak. I wrote about this in a recent Ralph report, but it's at com. But during that 10-game win streak, they were the best defense in the country. They were better than Houston. Uh, they were better than Virginia, better than Iowa State. They had the best defense in the country. During that 2-3 and three stretch, uh, they were like outside the top 130 in defensive efficiency. And, and I, I saw fans online saying, well, it's tough when other teams just make shots, and there's part of that that's true, uh, but the rotations were much slower. Uh, they were not as aggressive as they needed to be. It, it was a problem. And so for me, for this Carolina team, you know they're going to score points when they get up and down the court, but they have to defend at a really, really high level to make throw and march that, that we've shown that they've shown that they can. But, uh, again, it's now been three weeks or so, two, two to three weeks since they've played defense consistently at that high level. I want to see them string some games together with that high-level defense before I'm ready to, to fully get back on board. 
We're talking to Brian Ralph. He's on X at bralph33 and at hecheckcbb. Check out all his uh, great college basketball content. They're with us on the Body Works Plus uh, guest hotline. Brian, Duke, a lot of wins. It, it might surprise some people that they're 15-2 and two in their last 17 games with only one full roster loss, and that was the game uh, in Chapel Hill. Not dominant, but they're finding a way. What, what do you think the, the biggest key for them is going to be in March to make this a, a happy time for Blue Devil fans. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's going to be Jared McCain continuing to play the way that he has played. Uh, he was absolutely on fire against Florida State this weekend. But with this new team, they're they're a very good team. We thought they were going to be great because we thought they were going to get really more from the backcourt, particularly Tyrese Proctor, right? And, yeah. and that hasn't come to fruition. The result of that is Kyle Filipowski's had to carry pretty much all the scoring load on the offensive end. And there are guys who, who will you know, pick their spots and contribute game to game, but there hasn't been that consistent high-level perimeter score, right? McCain has stepped up and become that over the last five to ten games or so. If he can continue playing at this high level, that gives them that perimeter option to pair a Filipowski and really give teams some problems. We talk all the time, right, at March about how guard play and experience matters. And Duke has some experience, but they haven't had the, the elite-level guard play. McCain can provide that. Now, Brian, uh, what about NC State? You know, they pick up a big win over the weekend against Clemson. You know, this is a team that it's it, they've had their ups and downs throughout the year, but it just right now I don't know if they have the resume to get into the tournament. But they got some opportunities coming up. What do they have to do to find themselves in the conversation to make the tournament this year and potentially save Kevin Keats' job? I don't want to say they have to win out. But they, they, they might have to. They probably have to beat at least both UNC and Duke down the stretch. And they play both of them in March. I think they have to win at least both of those games. And maybe you can afford one loss other than that. But they lack those big wins. Uh, they've had a lot of close calls uh, recently where they've been, been in games and late in games and lost by a possession or two or three down the stretch. Those guys start turning into wins. Now, I, I do think they're playing at a pretty high level certainly uh, higher than they've played maybe a month or so ago, and the win over Clemson is indicative of that. But you're right. Like To, to this point, they don't have the resume of an at-large team. The ACC does not present a lot of opportunities for those high-level, like, I can hang my hat on this win on my resume kind of games. But UNC and Duke are two of those. And NC State has those on their schedule left. They win both of those, handle business elsewhere. I think they can get in the mix, but it's, it's certainly a tall task. Brian, how much of a season-defining week might this be for Wake Forest? They were close to a couple big wins last week, didn't get them, but all of a sudden Pittsburgh comes in hot to, to Winston, and they host Duke. Are we going to kind of find out, and maybe not the full fate of Wake, but close to it this week? Yes. Uh, I Yes. I, I actually wrote about this in a Ralph report that's up on com right now. is the one that came out this morning. Um, Wake Forest has two quad one wins in the last four years since oh, Steve Forbes took over. Um, yeah, and and they only have one this year. They're one in five against top 50 teams, and that's been the issue with them because you watch them play and they look good in the eye test. The analytics all, all really like Wake Forest. They have the analytics of a bubble team, but they just don't have those wins. They haven't been able to get over the hump. And kind of to the point in the ACC, th these are their last good opportunities to get big wins this week with Pitt at home and Duke at home. I think they kind of need to win both of those games to feel good about where they are. They certainly need to beat Pitt. Uh, but if you can beat Pitt and beat Duke, 
then I think the conversation about Wake Forest being an NCAA tournament team are are valid. If they were to lose one or, or both of those, it's auto bid or bust. Brian, one of the great stories in college basketball is, is a team that you, you know well. That's the story of the Gamecocks and the job that Lamont Paris has done. He's got national recognition. They moved up very, very fast, both in seeding and ranking. It's one thing to lose to Auburn by 40 because that's a tough place to play. They blow a lead to LSU, 16-point lead at home. Are, are you concerned that there's a little regression here with the Gamecocks and maybe they moved up so fast it might ultimately hurt them down the line? Yeah, somewhat. I think it's hard not to, right? The Auburn game I was not as concerned about. I think you should be with a final score like that. That's a bad matchup for South Carolina. And Auburn, the way that they typically play at Neville Arena, a game against Kentucky on Saturday excluded, um, That was, I think you could see a blowout coming, not necessarily blowout of that magnitude, but South Carolina struggles against those kind of teams that make them play fast and, and really pressure you defensively. The LSU loss is more concerning because you had a big lead, LSU was not a very good team. You were at home, and you let it slip away. Right? You, you can't blame the Auburn loss turning into two losses on that because you came out and you had a double-digit lead in the second half, and you let it all all slip away. That's concerning part to me because this is the week, really the first week this season that South Carolina has looked like a team that was picked to finish last in the SEC or in the bottom half of the SEC, and they haven't looked that way all season long, largely because of, of their experience and, and kind of the, the smart, high bat like he played they've gotten from the transfers they brought in those guys haven't played smart the last week they, they've, they've gone away from their identity and that's the concerning part it should be pretty easy to get back considering they were 21 and 3 they have a pretty long track record of, of producing at this level this season um but they are 100 trending in the wrong direction Brian, uh, last thing I'll ask you, it's about the ACC perception. You know, there's a lot of people in this area that are not happy with, you know, where the brackets are at. A lot of people thinking that the conference as a whole is being disrespected with most people putting, you know, four teams, sometimes even three teams into the NCAA tournament. What, what do you make of that? Do you think that the ACC does have a perception problem right now? Is, is there, you know, a narrative out against the ACC like some people in this area think? I don't think so. Like, I, I'm one of those ones who think the ACC has generally been, been pretty down really the last five years or so. And I know the, the people who will back the ACC will point to the tournament success that they've had and the runs that, that a couple teams have made. And that's true. But the issue with the ACC, I would argue, is not the teams at the top, right? It is not Duke. It is not, it is not North Carolina. Uh, even Miami the last couple of years, I know this year has been different. It hasn't been that those teams aren't good. It has been the teams, let's say, you know, four through ten, four through eleven. The the ones who would fill the seeds in the in the seven seed to twelve seed range, the, the bubble teams, the strength of your league aside from the top ten, top fifteen teams in the country, that's been the issue. Because those teams haven't consistently won games. I think Virginia's a good example of this this year. Virginia is a is a solid team. We've seen them perform well in ACC play, but they didn't really pick up a ton of big non conference wins. Right, they they got blown out by Wisconsin. They got blown out by a couple teams that they played in non-conference. Miami is the same kind of deal. They went on the road to Kentucky and, and got it absolutely handed to them by the Wildcats. There, those teams went on the road or went out in non-conference and did not show well. And so when that happens, that diminishes the, the outlook for your league. And then you get into league play, and those teams start beating up on each other. Nobody's able to maintain momentum. Well, those, those all kind of accumulate as, as bad losses. 
because nobody has proven that they can really be good. I still think the talent is there in the ACC. I don't think it's necessarily as good as it was 10 years ago. Those are still a really good league. They just haven't been able to get those wins. I don't think the coaching uh, to, to get more big picture, the coaching is high, as high level overall in the league as it was five, 10 years ago, which is an issue with it. Um, but yeah, like Duke's probably going to make a, make a run. UNC is probably going to make a run. You can even look in and say Clemson might win a couple games in the, in the NSA tournament. But by and large, like that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh team in the ACC, who do you, who would you put in there that you trust? Cause right now the, the resumes of those teams have shown that we can't really trust them. Brian, one more one more team of, of local note before we send you on your way, because at Heat Check College Basketball, you guys aren't just about the Blue Bloods. You cover every conference, every team. How how dangerous could App State be if they get a, you know, if they're a 12 or a 13 and they get a 4 or a 5 as they're projected now, we know that they're going to have to to win their way into the Sun Belt. But, but how dangerous are we looking at Mountaineers being for a team in that, in that first round, potentially? Very dangerous. Very dangerous. If if I'm if I'm Duke or South Carolina, who was in that that four to five seed range, uh, I am crossing my fingers and hoping that App State does not pop up as that twelve or thirteen seed in my region. Should App State App State make the tournament, uh, this is a really really good defensive team. They're a very experienced team. They're not the best offensively, but they they do enough. They have enough shooters. They have enough space and they push the pace enough. They find ways to get get easy baskets. But like Auburn went into to Boone at App State and lost pretty convincingly. The James Madison team that went and beat Michigan State, App State swept them. Like, this is a team that has proven they can play with and beat high-level competition because of the way they really defend you. Uh, and they've got some experienced guard play as well. Uh, some guys that come in from the transfer portal and done pretty well for them. So uh, of those mid-majors that are likely to slide in that shoulder 13 line, I have a few every year that I almost automatically pencil in as upsets and that state's one of those teams for me this year. I, I think they're a really, really good team capable of winning at least an NCAA tournament game. Oh, so he's got app state beating one of my two teams. That's, that's wonderful there to hear. Uh, Duke <laughs> or South Carolina, Brian, go ahead, promote your content. What are you guys working on this week right now at uh heat check college basketball? Yeah, you can check us out on heatcheckcbb.com or on Twitter or X, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I will never get used to calling it. X. I'll never get used to calling <laughs> no, it. X, it's, but, it's, but, it's a crime. Yes. The artist formerly known as Twitter uh, at, at HeatCheckCBB or B, B Ralph 33 uh, We got a lot coming down the pipe both this week uh, and coming up this month. Obviously, it's the month of, of college basketball. We're, that's our time to shine. We have a, a lot of conference tournament stuff coming down the pipeline. We'll have previews for, for all 32 conference tournaments. And we're going to get into, obviously, anti tournament prep as well. Uh, bracketology, uh, I think three times a week on the website updates and a uh, pretty detailed bubble watch, a more detailed bubble watch than you'll find anywhere else across the country. Um, so make sure you check it out at heatcheckcbb.com. All right, Brian. Thank you. Be well, man. I appreciate it. You guys have a good one. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. We're starting the week off with a lot of energy, but almost like a lot of exciting but negative energy towards All-Star break because we want something more. Fiddy somehow just felt at home, not even somehow, but felt more at home by saying exciting negative energy because that is the space he thrives in. <laughs> well, and what's what's beautiful about it is I didn't even speak in the first segment. Yeah. And you admitted that the conversation around uh, a weekend that even I as a kid thoroughly enjoyed is negative because it's oh yeah it's down it's downright horrible i did not watch anything on friday saturday i was working i was doing my podcast so i missed everything on saturday night last night the game was on but i was playing mlb the show so like and once it was 130 something to like 90 something in the Third quarter, mm-hmm. I was I was done. You and, watched more than me then, apparently. Oh, I, the game was on from start to finish. I was wanting to see Jalen Brunson play, but then I was like, we got bigger things to do in the second half of the NBA season. Bump the All-Star game. Well, that's how the players operate, too, though. Yeah. It's a problem. I, I think At least issue, for the weekend. Well, like, here's the issue. Because y'all know I'm a baseball guy. The, the MLB All-Star game isn't what it was 10 years ago. But it's still fully attended. There's better effort. And I feel like baseball carries their momentum over from Monday into Tuesday. You get a great home run derby. There's still an energy and a buzz. You've got to find a way to carry that excitement over from Saturday because it's there on Saturday. You can always feel the energy and the buzz in the basketball arena. But it's not there on Sunday night. When you're going up and down a court like that, same thing with football, it's so different from a three-point contest where you have actual competition It's different from a home run derby where you have actual competition. The thing about those two feats, you're stationary the whole time. Like you're exerting effort and you're tired as hell afterwards, but you know it's going to go away after a while. And it's not like you're running up and down and the risk of injury is really low. But all you're doing is just going from one rack to another, shooting a bunch of basketballs. And when you're in a home run derby, you got two minutes that you just need to ball out for a second. Go ahead and swing as hard as you can. And it's oftentimes who's got the most salmon in the home run derbies that ends yeah. up winning. But it's so station it's stationary. Like they're fun contest, but you're not exerting a lot of effort having to run a whole bunch and you're still getting to relax a little bit. And it is event like. And so that's why those two events are the ones that I would say in all of all star breaks across the sports, like those are the two events that people care about the most even more. And that's not even that's it didn't used to be that way. The slam dunk competition was the marquee event, and it's just really hard to think of something creative, and especially if the stars aren't going to do it, nobody knows who Jacob Toppin is. It's going to be tough for people to get intrigued by that. Do you think that LeBron did ruin the dunk contest? Because I do think so. Because I think that he was the last mega rock star that we've had that turned down the dunk contest. Because when you look back in the day, 
every player who was anybody, as far as when you talk about on that superstar landscape, uh, if they were known for dunking at all, they got in the dunk contest from Jordan to Kobe to, you know, you name it. But then once LeBron said, no, I'm not doing it, I think that that single-handedly made guys be like, well, if LeBron ain't going to do it, I ain't doing it either. Like, the only reason I don't think it's all on LeBron's shoulders is because we've seen stars since then, and it's not like Michael, like at least Michael did it once. And so maybe that's your point. It's because Michael wasn't doing it every time once we got to the 90s. Yeah, he, he did was pretty it how much many done. times? Like four times? Yeah, he was done. So yeah. you're right. He did do it at the beginning. I just didn't know if you were discussing him never doing it again. But yeah, LeBron not doing it hurt. I For sure. At least you got to see other stars afterwards. Like Paul George was in it. You know, we, ha we got to see people that get run. We are so far down the list of players that we know about. I it, I remember Jeremy Evans <laughs> winning a slam dunk contest, his only claim to fame. Hell, even Fred Taylor, who is an Indiana Pacer that was there on the judges panel, but Fred Taylor is not an. Oh, you talking about Fred remember. Jones? You talking about the running back? Thank you. <laughs> not Fred Taylor. Fred <laughs> Taylor was not there. Fred Jones. The Fred Taylor is the one that we all recognize. Fred Jones right, is not. Pivot. Fred Jones won the slam dunk contest with the Pacers back in the day, but it's always. You always tune in because you, okay, maybe this is the year we get Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. every, like, five years, you're going to get something fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we're always hoping it's that season. Even people were complaining about when I got to high school. Like, so that would have been, like, 07, 08. You're about to get to the late 2000s. That's when people started to complain a ton, in my opinion. But then you would get Dwight Howard in a Superman cape, and it would be, Amazing. Blake Griffin jumping over the car. Blake Griffin was fun. Oh, number one overall pick that's as athletic a big guy as we've seen in forever. He's in it. Cool. Let's go ahead and tune into that. Then you get Zach uh, Levine and Aaron Gordon a couple times. But there's so many times where you got to wait like five years before you get anything good. Let's read a few text messages before we move on to some Panthers conversation. Um, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. People are mad about the three-point attempts taken. Mike from Mooresville says... The dunk contest change. I have an idea. None of these guys play great defense. Why not let these guys play a one-on-one -on -one game for a minute each and let them posterize each other? Then you grade the dunks. The problem is, if you think the dunk contest isn't attended by the stars because they don't feel like they have anything to gain, they're not going to do anything in the way of a one-on-one -on -one competition because there's too much ego on the line. Oh yeah. If I lose a one-on-one -on -one comp in front of everybody, that's the trump card. And not only that, too, man... The, the thing is, well, can I be interested to get your thoughts, too, because I don't think you and I have ever delved into this conversation on the defense comment. And I know that the effort is not always there in the NBA. But also, I do think that effort is there to an extent. But you can't guard some of these guys. Another two guys. Yeah. Who is locking up? Like, I love when college basketball fans says that at a bar. Oh, they, it, it's better because they play defense. They, they play real defense. Ain't nobody on that court guarding any of those all-stars one-on-one. You watch Luca play. Who's guarding Luca? Yeah, nobody. Please, the old school guys, don't hit me with no Scottie Pippen or none of that bad boys. I want to hit none of that. You're not guarding any of these guys. Fiddy is scratching his chin. He could. What you got, Fiddy? Who's guarding Luka Doncic? Oh, I, no, I'm, I'm the guy at the bar saying I enjoy the college game because you see, you see defense. You see... 
you see different styles. Because I hear what you're saying. Like, dude, Lillard hit a three last night where he's 38 feet away from the basket, <laughs> steps to his left towards the yeah. baseline and buries it. No, you can't. Like, do there's it. nothing you. Yeah, nothing. So, like, I I appreciate how how gifted and skilled these players are offensively. I think that's a big reason why scoring is up. But scoring is also up in the regular season because they don't play defense until April. And you see that on the biggest stage in the All-Star game where, like, growing up, you saw 150, 160 All-Star game scores, but they were still competing. If they were competing and it was 211 to 185, would we, would, would we all be complaining? Well, we're, well, we're merging All-Star game with regular season action now. Like, because All-Star game is, you're right, All-Star game's gotten worse. Yeah. A, a regular season action, you're saying they don't compete until they get to April. Like, that's where I actually don't agree. I think players are I mean, still. Like, I mean, players say that, that like, you know, we, we the regular season for a lot of these teams is basically just a tune-up for the, because the playoffs are so long. Like a lot of it is just tuning up because they're going to play. They're 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 going to play harder in the postseason. They're going to play better defense in the postseason because numbers are down, possessions are down, scoring is down. It's just it's factual. Well, I had, not the effort stuff. Like the the only effort that you can argue is factual is the load management, where players will sit and rest and then give 100 percent effort defense. But it's not only just the players that are so talented. These strategies are so amazing. You can't stop yeah. them now. Like offensive mastermind coaches can come in, draw up a play, and good luck. James Borrego. Yeah, because I mean, you he got Luka Doncic. I'm not going to hate on that. Yeah. Dude could draw up a play with the best of them. Future That's a Nets fact. head coach James Borrego. I'm talking it into existence. Maybe. Yeah, man. And I mean, we talked about it. How this is the. I think this is the. This is either the second or third highest scoring uh, era in NBA history. So there were eras in the 70s and and stuff like that yeah. where guys. We're playing this kind of ball with these high scores. But, yeah, the, the defense argument, you know, you kind of lose me a little bit there. But, like I said, you get an all-side game where they give n- – they're not even playing it at all. No, no arguing that. Yeah, ain't no arguing that. <laughs> ain't no arguing so that. Bad. Yeah. It's, it's non-existent. It's not even 10% turned up a little bit. They could be lying on the ground. And it would still be the same score that you saw in this. Yeah, because I'm ridiculous. like, where are the guys that maybe want to get a, some defensive records in the all-side game? Where's the guy mm-hmm. that says, yo, I want to get the most steals. I want to get the most blocks or something like that. But you don't have that. All right. So the NBA doesn't need any help offensively. The Carolina Panthers need help offensively. Oh, they do. Man. Nicely done. That's, That's good, good. That, that was no, good. That was nicely I was, done. I was complimenting you. <laughs> Speaking of defensive. Yeah, that sorry. was nicely done. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were about to clown me. No, right. it was good. Good transition. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. The Carolina <laughs> I want, an, I want an applause any time that I have a good segue. Mm. Let's go to the Carolina Panthers, who desperately need help offensively. And it just might come via the franchise tag with some of these other teams. Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Cincinnati Bengals, Wes, they each have a number one wide receiver type, even if T. Higgins isn't a number one wide receiver on his own team. He very well could be for a different franchise. And both of those guys are franchise tag candidates. CBS, ESPN, couple outlets coming out with the most likely guys to be franchise tagged. And of course you go to Cincinnati. We'll start there where T Higgins is that number one option. The Bengals would be paying Higgins a lot of money, about 21 million to keep him around, but it would be wise to give Joe Burrow one of his top targets for another year and run it back. Higgins did have a career low in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, but he was hurt. He only played 12 games. Good bet Higgins will live up to the 2021-22 seasons, both over 1,000 yards, if he's back in Cincy in 2024. My question is, 
What are the chances you think T not comes to Carolina? Because when you dwindle it down to one specific franchise, mm-hmm. the odds go down too. But just leaving Cincinnati, Wes, what's that proposition look like for you? Is it 50-50? What are the chances T is out of Cincinnati next year? Uh, I think it's 50-50 because we talked about the way that Joe Burrow's contract is structured. His base salary is only going to be uh, 25 and change over the next couple of seasons. So he definitely did himself a service with the contract that he signed because it's going to allow Cincinnati to be able to keep some of their better players because of this. Will they sign him to a long-term extension? We'll see. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think Tyler Boyd is also a free agent this offseason, too. And we know he's been important to that offense. But the main thing is the Jamar Chase piece and what he is going to command. Because we know Justin Jefferson is coming up this offseason. And we've already seen what's going on there and the type of money he could command. Because they're saying that his deal is going to be in the ballpark of $125 million guaranteed. I would think that Jamar Chase could probably get either equal to that or maybe a little bit more than that if he waits to see when Jefferson gets his deal. So if they pay him that, I think probably they do franchise Higgins. And I also said to, you know, 50-50 proposition because I think there are two teams outside of Cincinnati and Tennessee and Carolina that I think will have, uh, you know, the same amount of, of, I guess, things in their corner to sign him with or, or equal chances in my opinion. But I think with the way Burroughs uh, contract is structured, it allows them the flexibility to be able to uh, at least um, franchise T. Higgins. So I think it is a 50-50 shot. I do too. I, I'm really interested to see because I think he's going to get hit with the franchise tag. It's all about if they agree on a long-term extension after that. And if T. Higgins is mad about playing on franchise tag, does he sit out? And then maybe you get a trade going on there. I'm interested to see what happens. Also, most people continue to ask about Mike Evans. Wes, I've been... <laughs> This has been something worth noting, too. When Dave Canales was hired as the head coach, it felt like people asking about Mike Evans was the number one type of text that we got on the FanDuel text line. So first it was, we'll see what he can do about Bryce Young. But as far as any kind of, I don't know, hey, who is he going to bring alongside him? Who's going to be his offensive coordinator? What do you think about what he did with Baker and or uh, Geno Smith? A lot of texts came in about, can you go get Mike Evans now? And Mike Evans is another popular franchise tag candidate, according specifically here to CBS. And this is what the write-up is. Placing the franchise tag at 21, uh, 21 million would actually be cheaper for Evans in 2024. And that would give the Bucks more time to work out an extension. It would make sense for Tampa Bay to tag Evans, especially with 37 million in available salary cap space. We did see today, according to a bunch of NFL insiders, I'll read this tweet from Diana Rossini. Today is the day that could save the Bucks some money by re-signing all-pro wide receiver Mike Evans. However, that deal won't happen. Look for the two sides to continue to negotiate in good faith as they work towards the start of free agency, but no longer can you just hit him with that extension. So he could be out there. And Mike Evans, I guess there's a possibility that he could go to Carolina. I think that's less likely than T. Higgins, though. I think Tampa Bay, given their cap space, even if Mike Evans has a good relationship with Canales, it's certainly worth exploring. I just think given the situation each team's have via the cap, you're not paying a Joe Burrow-type quarterback down in Tampa Bay. Mike Evans is a legend already. You know, T. Higgins has two good years with Cincinnati. Letting go of Mike Evans, fans might feel some type of way about that because he's a Hall of Famer and is 
a legend that's going to have his name in the Ring of Honor one day. Yeah. So I think Mike Evans is going to be harder to get, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. When you look at the market value, according to Spot Track, I mean, they have him as a calculated deal of four years, 95 mil with a 23.8 uh, average salary. Uh, and I think for a guy of his stature, with what he's done, I mean, are you going to get four more high quality years out of Mike Evans? I'm not all the way sure about that, but I, I do think he has another two to three playing at a high level at least. Mm -hmm. uh, T. Higgins, according to Spot Track, would be the cheaper of the two because they have him valued at four years, $74 million, so 18.6 annual salary. So it just depends. Uh, this could be a situation where you have to overpay uh, if you're Carolina. If you're really trying to get that number one weapon for your guy, you might have to overpay. We know that money talks, especially at the wide receiver position. Uh, you look at the top of the market, there's Tyreek Hill at 38 and Devontae Adams at 28. So you might not get that kind of money but I think if you're the Carolina Panthers I mean if you come to Mike Evans and say hey you know we'll give you 25 a year for a couple of seasons because of the rookie quarterback that you have I think that could go a long way uh, same thing with T. Higgins. You might not pay him 25, but you might be able to go a little bit over uh, what other teams are offering as well. You don't want to have the compensation because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you have to give up your first round pick for this year if you sign a guy that is franchised, correct, for that particular year. So, uh, I don't know about the specifics, but okay, we can yeah, look it up. Right. Hey, drum, drum, yeah. franchise tag research, please. <laughs> yeah, Thank man. You. So, uh, So it just depends there. But I think if you're Carolina, I mean – if you could sign T. Higgins, and let's just say it could be a first-rounder within the next two years, the next year, I mean, that's not the worst proposition in the world, being that you're going to need it, and he is a young player. I mean, I don't know who you're going to get in a draft that's mm -hmm. going to be better than T. Higgins, uh, you know, that that's coming up in the next couple of seasons. Well, the uncertainty is there, right? I mean, you would be taking the risk because you want to have a cost-control salary on the rookie market compared to T, who you're going to be paying top dollar for. But do you want to try to risk it with the uncertainty? Okay, I'm paying less money, but I don't know if he's going to be T Higgins. If he is, then great, we won. But if you get T, then you don't have to worry about it, and you just have to spend high dollar for it. I had a take last week about how Carolina could be a team on the outside looking in for some of these top-notch wide receivers because a lot of these other squads that are in a similar position are going to be ponying up for some of these wide receivers, right? So if Carolina is competing with Tennessee or some of these other squads that have a young QB, second or first year, then they just might be on the outside looking in. But, Wes, what I will say, this offseason has the potential to have – the most impactful wide receiver uh, wide receiver movement that we've seen in a while because T Higgins, Mike Evans, both possibilities to leave. Your boy, Brandon Ayuk, looks like looks like he might not even just be coming back at all. Like it, 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 we'll we'll see. You're right, but yeah, Debo did the same thing. It, he did. You're right about that. It looks more contentious than the other two situations do. But Brandon Ayuk could be gone. Do you trade for DK Metcalf? That's a combo we can continue on the other side of the break. But it does feel like there are a lot of big-name wide receivers that Carolina could be interested in, and there also be a possibility for them to land them. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Now let's bring in a man who may or may not have a take on that, but he's always got... Spicy hot takes on ACC hoops and other things. Joe Ovius, Triangle Media Influencer, the Ovius and Gilio podcast. They make great merch. I've seen it online. He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. What's up, Joe Ovius? How you been? Breakingtea.com slash OG. Go get your throwback merch right now. I'm actually doing my best Daytona 500 impression being a spotter for my 15-year-old on a learner's permit on I-95. We managed that terrible stretch of I-95 through Florence Ooh. as we're coming back from Charleston, South Carolina for a hockey trip. So if you hear me yelling like, hey man, get over, turn signal, blah, 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 that's why. That's why. Where, where do you play at? Like the North Charleston Civic Center? Where do you play? Yeah, it was uh, it was the uh, the Ice Palace there in North Charleston. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, a bunch of, uh, in fact, uh, I, I, saw, I saw Bill Rosinski there uh, because uh, his grandkid plays for one of the Charlotte area uh, youth hockey squads caught up with him for a little bit. And uh, yeah, man, it's always a good time watching junior hockey. No, it's a great spot. I know it well. All right, good, man. It's, it's good to have you back here. Um, I mean, do you want to weigh in on the NBA All-Star game or should we move on to the ACC? Uh, I'll say this about the All-Star game because I know this is this has been a thing that you've railed against in the past. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's Anchorman. We've been coming to the same party yes, uh, yes. year after year. Acknowledged. No way, that's depressing. Acknowledged. You don't, have to, you don't have to watch it. You know that, right? No, you're right. I don't. And um, th- and I started last night just not watching it. You're right. That is my new MO moving forward. I, yeah. I can't like, wait for the point. You don't have to watch it. No, you don't I, have to watch I, it on nights where I know there's not something on that I need to watch or I don't care to watch. I've actually started to watch The Sopranos for the first time ever. Ever? Uh, I figured I, fi- I figured 25 years after it debuted, I'd finally get around to The Sopranos. That's what I'm doing right now. Good for you. That, it's a great choice. But can I just say the one thing? Because you're right. I'm acknowledging all of it, Joe. I'm acknowledging that I'm getting older, that things change, yeah. that you know I age out of things. Like I, I am trying to be at least acknowledging that you know I understand what's happening here. But man, when you grew up on it like we did, and you saw it, like we have verifiable evidence that, hey, Stefan Marbury and AI, MJ and Kobe, Kobe and LeBron, like these guys used to go at it in the NBA All Star game, and now you know players are outright saying, yeah, we we just we're not going to compete. We, this is like a vacation for us. I, I mean, shouldn't they scrap it at this point? Um, yeah, they, they should probably scrap all sorts of All Star events. The All Star All Star events are kind of weird for me because they're good for the cities, right? Um, you know, when Charlotte has an All Star event, it's a party. Right, you got right. people in town. It's, it's a big, you know, it's putting your city on. When Raleigh hosted the NHL All Star Game back in what 2010 or 2011, um, that was again same thing. You know, it's, it's putting on for the city. Slow down. You got it's this, you got a speed limit of where are we now? 60. So slow down, please. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I wasn't kidding, guys. That's anyway, awesome. this is so awesome. So, so the thing is, if you look at it from the perspective of what is the all-star game for? You just kind of nailed on it. You, you were a kid. 
and you enjoyed it. And if you were super into the sport as a kid, this was your one opportunity to see all your favorite players or recognizable yep. players in one place. Cool. And it, you just left it at that. After that, we sort of romanticized what these events are. I think the baseball all-star game is the same way too. When I was a kid, I was very into baseball and I always wanted to go to all-star game because I thought it was unique to see everybody on the same field at once. But then I got older and priorities change. But as long as the kids still like it, then that's all that matters. You know, when we hosted, we're a year removed from Carter Finley stadium, hosting the stadium series game, right? That's actually the direction that a lot of these pro sports should be going in that you should be doing something different with the event. So I like your idea of the in-season tournament, not necessarily because of the money, but you have to put some stakes on the line. Or it's something that's so novel and unique that you're bringing a bunch of people there for the spectacle of it. And I think the All-Star Game, they thought that the spectacle was going to be an LED court, right? Not going to lie. That that was kind of cool to see, you know, a a glowing ball for the slam dunk contest. You know, Steph Curry, and I used to... I, I, I can't pronounce her name. I always... Mess up Sabrina Ionescu. Ionescu, thank you. Like, that's cool, right? Those are the things that probably should be focused on. The game itself has to be rethought. And that, that's the same. You could be you could say that about the NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, and the NBA. It's not just the NBA. I, I'm with you. And I'm, I, I appreciate you commenting on that. But I also wanted to set it up because I think there's something else Adam Silver said that uh, I really want to know your thoughts on. You probably know what I'm getting to here. Adam Silver said over the weekend that uh, because of NIL and college basketball, that the days of G League Ignite may be numbered. He said basically that NIL and college athletics may have solved the issue they were looking to address. Yes. And he's basically looking at college basketball and saying, well, hey, if you guys are going to pay them, then I guess we don't need to do anything. No, no, he's absolutely right. And, you know, it's probably better for the NBA and it's better for college basketball if players stick around longer like they do in college football. Now, I don't want to get into the merits of whether this is good or bad and players should have the right to go directly to the NBA or players should have the right to go directly to the NFL. I'm looking at this strictly from the lens of what is good for business, okay? What is good for your sport and your league? The NFL has it figured out with a glorified minor league in college football because you've seen quarterbacks for a couple years. There's enough tape. There's enough notoriety so that when it gets to draft season, what are we doing for three months, right? We're talking about we're hope trafficking, and that's, you know, that, that, that's going to keep things going throughout the offseason. You know, once players are going directly to the NBA, they, we didn't know what the product was, and not everybody's LeBron James. Okay, not everybody is Victor Wembanyama who could just kind of come out and be the spectacle. So it would be good if players stuck around for a couple of years, you know, win a tournament, make their name in the NCAA tournament like Steph Curry did, right? And then they can go to the NBA as, a, as an established guy. You know, I think it happened in Charlotte, right? Not that I spend that much time thinking about the Hornets, but like, it was weird. In college, Brandon Miller was a known commodity who played in high-stakes games, yet Charlotte Hornets fans didn't want him. Mm-hmm. because it was a known thing. I'm sorry, but I would rather take a player who has played in high-stakes events, high-stake rivalry games. I would rather take somebody that goes through Duke and Carolina and plays in those environments than somebody that never really did. And that's the one thing about the G League Ignite overtime elite. There's no stakes. It's a content farm. They're there to create Instagram reels. They're there to create TikToks. That's all it is. And if you read any story or look at any feature of guys who have gone through that, it's really not about basketball. I mean, it's fine. I mean, it is what it is. It's about your brand. But if you want to be about basketball, college still is the best place to do it. And honestly, 
if you let's put yourself back in that situation. Let's, let's say you're 16, 17 years old, Kyle. Would you rather be the big dog on campus like a Jared McCain at Duke or Zion when he was the thing at Duke a few years ago? Or look at Armando Baycott. He's in a much better situation now. Rather than toiling away in Europe or toiling away on a G League squad, he's a big man on campus to Carolina making money. Yep. So I think it's better for everybody in this situation and probably better for the NBA that they do stick to college. Couldn't agree more. Joe Ovius, Ovius and Gilio podcast, Triangle Media influencer with us as he uh, chaperones his son. They're driving right now with a learner's permit, and it's uh, it's awesome radio. It's, it's life or death stuff here on the radio right now with Joe Ovius. Um, bigger win on Saturday, Duke in Tallahassee or Carolina holding off Virginia Tech? Ooh, man. Um, yeah, man. Ah, man. This, I don't really know what to make of either team right now. Yep. So let's, let's look at these two teams individually, and then we can get to the answer. Uh, I, think, I think Carolina's slump, Caleb, you can speed up. You're going way below the speed limit now. <laughs> so let's go. What are we at now? Yeah, we're at, okay, keep it at 70. And that means ups and downs. It's fine. It's fine. He's learning. You're good, Caleb. Just relax, my guy. Big, just learning. relax, do your best. Yeah, and he's actually learning about being distracted while driving while he's got his dad yelling next to him. It's a good lesson. Uh, in, our little, in my little Honda Civic. Anyway, so here's the thing about Carolina. I did not make a big deal out of them losing three of their last five games going into that Virginia Tech game. Uh, because every single one of those games could be explained, right? You know, in the, in the loss of Georgia Tech, they didn't make free throws. Uh, free throw awareness month started early for the Tar Heels. They missed half their free throws, and it still came down to a final two-shot sequence where Georgia Tech's guy made the circus shot and R.J. Davis wasn't able to do it, right? And then you got the Duke game, which everybody, you know, including me, went, all right, clearly you are the top dog in the ACC. The Clemson loss was a classic hangover. Armando Baycott, to his credit, called his own team out for not having good practice on Monday, showing up late on Tuesday ahead of that game, and Clemson being hungry for an NCAA tournament bid. They needed a win like that. They took advantage of the hangover. You then follow it up with the loss to Syracuse. When you go look at the statistical anomaly of what Syracuse did in that game, where they shot at like 60-plus percent, something that hadn't been done since 1997 when Dean Smith retired, all right? So these are things that I think can be explained. I think there's way too much college football vacation when it comes to college basketball where we're looking at every game as some sort of referendum as to whether this team is good or not. It's a long season, man, with college kids. You're going to have some ups and downs. The only thing I would caution about the win against Virginia Tech, yes, Armando Baycock got fed the ball. Yes, they dropped 90-some-odd points. But this Carolina team's identity is defense. And I don't – the one concern I would have them is that they have not consistently played to the level of defense we know they are capable of. Now, is that us overvaluing their defense? And now we've seen this kind of regression to the mean that we saw earlier in the year, right, when they had to beat Tennessee with 100 points. I don't know. I think that remains to be seen. Now, Duke. Duke's tough, man. Duke's tough to talk about. Caleb, 70. You're going 60. Come on, 70. Anyway, Duke's (laughs) tough to talk about because they have not had a complete team like all year, man. Tyrese Proctor's out in concussion protocol. Uh, I don't know Kyle Filipowski's total health coming off an off-season hip surgery. He's constantly nursing his ankle. He's powering through something that I'm sure we'll find out about later in the off-season, right? Uh, so they've not had a complete team yet. They're finding kind of like grimy, slug-it-out kind of games to win. It's not pretty, 
But I do think that the way they've been getting through this uh, stretch of games, having lost to North Carolina, has actually benefited them. And you've seen the freshmen truly step up and shine like Jared McCain. Joe Giglio, my co-host, likes to talk about who's the bus driver, right? We always thought that Kyle Filipowski was that guy. Kyle Filipowski has not consistently been that guy. But if Jared McCain can take over the way he's done the last four games, and then Tyrese Proctor can come in and really hold it down defensively, I do like Duke's chances, and I'm really, really curious to see when they get Carolina again at the end of the season at Cameron Indoor. All right, now given that the ESPN uh, Industrial Complex would like to keep as many ACC teams out of this tournament as possible, uh, and we assume it's a two-bit league, did NC State's win over... I'm sorry. Did NC State's win over Clemson on Saturday? What did it do to further State's tournament odds? I mean, it just, it didn't completely gut their chances, right? Like with with State, man, it's a game to game. Like I've given up trying to make large proclamations about the Wolfpack. I really have. You know, earlier this season when they beat Wake Forest at home and Kevin Keats was talking about how he was tired of this blank and he wants some respect. Nobody's talking about this team. Look at their record in the ACC. And then what they, what they do after that, right? They, they just kind of sputtered along. So I'm done making proclamations about the Wolfpack. It's a game-by-game basis for them. They got a, they got a up-and-down Syracuse team on Tuesday at PNC Arena. And I think that's probably the frustration with state fans is that there's nothing about this Wolfpack squad year-to-year that separates them from the glut of teams in the ACC, right? Um, and... State fans want more than that. They, they, and I don't blame them for wanting more than that. I really don't. Um, so I wish Kevin Keats could just find more consistency with his program year in, year out, and health, game to game, man. But when you live up, when you live at the transfer portal, and by the way, Steve Forbes deals with this a little bit at Wake Forest as well. When you live at the transfer portal like they do, um, you, you, you have to find a different hook. And unfortunately, for NC State, they just don't have that different hook. And it's frustrating, State fans. All right, I'm going to let you get back to being a good dad, and uh, good luck and Godspeed. We're going to have you back soon to talk some Canes hockey, brother. Tell Caleb beautifully done. Yeah, I can tell you what. Usually, when I'm driving, I like to see the Google Map distance, uh, the time to uh, the time to target. You know, get shorter and shorter because I'm making up on that speed. Yep. Yeah, it's actually got slower than that. So all, you know I what? Think we've, we've added time, but that's fine. He's driving safe. That's hey, all that matters. Well done. I want him to hear this. Caleb, well done. Well done, my man. Yeah. Kyle says good job. All right. I love it. Joe Ovius, way to be a good he, he dad. appreciate it. We'll talk to you all soon. Right, later, man. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.